So, so what I need you to do for me really quickly is just take your Bibles out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I want to jump into the sound of God's word. How many of you know when you open up God's word, it makes a sound? It is not the sound of the crinkling of pages. It is the sound of heaven filling your atmosphere. It is the sound of heaven coming down right where you are when you open up God's word. In fact, the Bible says that the world began with a sound. Let there be and there was. Let there be light and there was. It is the sound of heaven that absolutely fills this place that changes your life. It is the sound of heaven. Let there be healing. And the Bible sounded out that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements of our peace are upon him. By his stripes we are healed. So let there be hope. You see, let there be a sound that fills your mouth. The Bible says that the sound of heaven should fill your mouth. So when heaven begins to resonate in your spirit, we ought to make a sound in this place. Somebody give him a sound of praise. Could it be that when the sound of our lives, the sound of our mouths is congruent with the sound of heaven, that glory is revealed in your life? Mm. Good heavens. Somebody look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of our conversation. The sounds of sacrifice. Look at your neighbor and say, the sounds of sacrifice. Look at your other neighbor and say, turn up the volume. The sounds of sacrifice. Turn up the volume. Wow. I can't help but to think that sometimes we allow the noise of life to drown out the sound of heaven. Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, 500 people were gathered and he said, I want you to go and wait. Wait for the sound of heaven to fall down. Wait for the sound of that mighty rushing wind. 500 people. But on the day of Pentecost, when the sound of the Holy Spirit filled the upper room, only 120 people were present. Could it be that 380 people found something better to do? Could it be that 380 people allowed the noise of life to drown out the sound of heaven? Could it be that 380 people decided that they wanted to receive something from God, but they were not willing to sacrifice something for God? Good Lord, have mercy. I feel like preaching, but I can't preach yet. Here we are in week number three of this series, Christmas Vacation. And each week... This series has been connected to the previous week. Today is no different. Last week we talked about minding your business. Look at your neighbor and say, mind your business. And how God had given favor to Jesus for Jesus to complete the task that was laid out before him. And how Jesus showed us through the Samaritan woman at the well that we too have the favor of God to complete the task, to mind our business. Our business is to make sure that those are, that are around us come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Look at your neighbor again and say, mind your business. So each week we've been looking at 
a segment of time in the life of Christ. We began three weeks ago with looking at the end of his life, and we've been backing up each week. Today is, again, no different than that. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 2. But I actually want to digress a little. I don't know if you've got this upstairs. I can't remember if I gave this to you or not. Rather than picking up up in Matthew chapter 2, I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Here's what it says. The sound of God's word begins to fill the atmosphere. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of the prophetic utterances that had been given hundreds of years before are now beginning to sound out with humanity. Where Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us on top of the mountain. He's with us in the valley. He's with us in the storm. He's with us in the victory. He's with us in defeat. God, Emmanuel, Christ with us. Lord have mercy. That makes me want to shout. If you've ever felt like you were alone, you don't need to feel like you were alone. He is with us. Not just with us. Entitled, but he is with us. The very fact that he climbed on a cross just proves that he wants to inhabit your atmosphere. Why? Because he gave it all in hopes that we would make a sound called worship. The rest of that passage of scripture says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I read all of that to set up the narrative. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You ought to circle that in your Bibles. We have come to worship him. The emphasis of worship. The sounds of sacrifice. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and so was all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah? Where was he to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will, become, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Again, the emphasis of worship. Verse 9 and following says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that had they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Again, the emphasis of worship. But then we see the very first exchange of Christmas gifts. Then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts, the gift of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship, worship, worship. The Christmas story is based upon the concept of worship, but it's verses 2 through 6 that are most intriguing to me. Verses 2 through 6 that absolutely uncover the plot, if you will, the complexities, the sounds of one of those first Christmases. It says this, it says, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him when he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, just as the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Lord, bless your word today. The word that you have for your people. For it's in your name. High five your neighbor and say the sounds of sacrifice. You can be seated. The sounds of sacrifice. Let me just say to you that we have sensationalized this story in Christendom. And I need you to hang here with me for a moment because in Christendom we have made this story in some regards in ways that it actually did not unfold. We've glamorized this story. We've, we see this story as this wonderful, just beautiful, melodic experience that all of the sounds of heaven are so joyous and the virgin birth and all of the angels sing. Oh! Oh! But I think sometimes when we water down the history behind the narrative, we lose sight of the theological significance of this passage of Scripture. You see, when you understand the history behind the narrative, the theology of the narrative rises to the surface. So what I want to do is talk to you for a moment about the history of the narrative. I want this story to evolve in your spirit because we see the characters rising to the surface and beginning to take shape. And I want you to use every last one of your senses, if you will, to live inside of this story this morning. Let it evolve in your spirit so that you understand exactly what was taking place during this scene. Because what you have is you have Herod and you have the Magi and you have the religious rulers and you have Jesus. And but there's also some misconceptions that we need to clear up 
when it comes to Christmas. Because we have written these beautiful songs, if you will, that capture the heart of, of that time, that first Christmas experience. Songs that may not necessarily be accurate. Songs like, Silent night, oh, oh holy night, all is calm. And all, all is bright and round, round young virgin, mother and child. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been around a birth without the luxury of an epidural. But there is nothing silent or calm about it. And, and, and I don't know if you fully understand this, but chaos was in the air because here is Mary who is, 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 is pregnant, having a child and out of wedlock. That was not just taboo during that day. That was punishable by death. And everyone was talking about her. And then there's away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. How many of you want to place your newborn baby in a feeding trough? A nasty feeding trough. And then the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Come on, baby Jesus wakes up for the very first time. He opens up his eyes and there is a cow staring him in the face. It goes, moo. And he doesn't cry. And then not to mess up your nativity scenes, but there was no three wise men at the manger scene. In fact, history and theologians tell us that they didn't even start traveling until Jesus was born. And history tells us that it took somewhere between six months and 18 months for them to even arrive where Jesus was at. So Jesus isn't in a manger when this takes place. He's, he's a toddler or at least an infant. And there were not three magi. In fact, theologians tell us that it was probably a caravan of astrologers, of magis who came from afar, maybe dozens, if not even hundreds of people. And they're bringing their families and everything with them because it takes so many months to travel there. And when they come into town, it's not just three magi riding on camels. It's so much more than that, probably hundreds. And that's why the Bible says in verse 3 that all of Jerusalem was troubled by what they saw. Because they're seeing all of these people coming to Jerusalem wanting to worship this, this apparent Messiah that's been born somewhere in the region. And then you have Herod. Herod, who is this incredible leader, this, this gifted politician, this incredible builder, but he's psychotically possessed with losing power. In fact, he killed his wife, he killed his three sons, he killed his immediate family, he killed his extended family, he killed every last one of his enemies because he didn't want anyone opposing him. One day he realized that he wasn't even the richest dude in the province, and so he went out and he killed all 45 of the richest people in Jerusalem, and he took all of their wealth and made it his own. He didn't want anyone opposing him. And now you have the Magi who are coming in and they're talking to Herod about the, the king that has been born in his region. That makes for great conversation. 
Then you have the religious rulers. The religious rulers who are, the Bible calls them religious rulers, which means that at some point in time, they were probably the high priest. They understand everything about God's word in the Old Testament, about the nuances of the prophecy being fulfilled with the Messiah being born. And so now you have Herod and the Magi consulting with the high priest or the former high priest and all of these religious rulers. Tell us where the Messiah was born because we're in Jerusalem, but we know that he's not been born, hasn't been born here. And all of a sudden they tell them the Old Testament prophecy in verse 6 that he's to be born in the next neighboring village, the next town in Bethlehem. What blows me away about that is here are these religious leaders who know everything about Jesus but aren't willing to sacrifice enough just to even walk to the next town to worship Jesus. So you have all of this stuff unfolding if you think about it. You've got Herod who wants to kill Christ. You've got the the religious leaders who are indifferent. And and then you have the magi who want to worship God. And they want to bring a sacrifice, an offering to God. And then you have Jesus who wants to be the Savior of the world. And all he's asking for is a sacrifice of praise. I have to ask this at Christmas. Which one are you? I mean, are you Herod? And I'm like, I don't care. Are you the religious leaders? And you're like indifferent. You can take it or leave it. Or are you like the Magi wanting to worship God? Because the foundation of this early Christmas story is built around the concept of worship. And I need you to understand that worship is so much more than I think we have ever labeled it. Worship is so much deeper than an experience. Worship is so much more than our hands lifted up and our mouths filled with praise. Worship is more than emotional stimulant on Sunday morning. You see, your hands lifted up and your mouth filled with praise are only tangible indicators of what is happening on the inside. Worship is so much deeper than our hands lifted up. You see, our hands lifted up are only exposing the direction of our hearts. But worship is more than acknowledging God for what He's done. Worship is more than having this attitude of gratitude for what he's done worship is being grateful for all that he's given are you grabbing that Worship is being grateful for all that he's given. And that's why the Bible says this about worship in Hebrews it says that that our lives should be a sacrifice of praise. Do you know what that means when our lives are supposed to be a sacrifice of praise that just means that praise should cost us something Paul Like the Magi who go for months on a journey to go worship a Christ that they really don't know anything about, but yet they want to bring a sacrificial gift. You see, when you realize all that God has done for you, it should make you want to lift up your hands and begin to praise him. because Not not because of what he can do for you, but because of what he can do through you. I think about Mary who... She took the alabaster jar of perfume and she broke the alabaster jar of perfume and she poured it out on Jesus' feet. All of the disciples are standing around Tim and they're wigging out. Why in the world would she do this? And they begin to say to Jesus while she's wiping his feet down with her hair, they say, that's a waste. That perfume was a year's wages. And Jesus says, it's not a waste, it's a sacrifice of praise that will be talked about throughout all ages. So here it's the Magi who have come from afar to praise the Messiah, to 
worship the Christ. You have some who don't want to worship God, and then you have the Messiah, or you have the Magi who desire to worship Christ. And, and, and the point that I'm trying to make is this God will commandeer the universe in order to accomplish worship. Because he commandeered the constellations for the Magi who really didn't know much about the Christ to cause them to travel a great distance for months on end. When they reach Jerusalem, they lose track of the star. They have a conversation with Herod and the star reappears and takes them to where the Messiah is at. I don't know if you're grabbing this, but God will use every element of the universe to extract his purpose from his people, which is sacrificial praise. You see, the term sacrifice, most of us, we're just not really comfortable with that term. Sacrifice just means a lot. You know, it just means I just have to give a lot. It means I, a lot is required of me. And, and you know what about uh, sacrifice is, is, is this. It is tough to define sacrifice. And the reason for that is because each one of us has a different definition of sacrifice. What might be a sacrifice for you may not be a sacrifice for me. You see, what might be a sacrifice for you coming to church four times a month might not be a sacrifice for me. You giving in an offering might be a sacrifice for you, but someone else giving in that offering might not be a sacrifice. You giving $5 may be a sacrifice for someone else. 5000 may not be a sacrifice. There's truth to that. But that is why in this story that Matthew captures for us this quality of sacrifice through the Magi who travel a great distance, not, not just a few miles, but several months so that they can come bearing gifts. And the people who are Jewish who are there right next door, if you will, to Jesus, this doesn't make sense to them, Harvey. They're like, why in the world would all of these people come and want to worship this apparent Messiah? just doesn't make sense but the more that I thought about that concept I need you to think about this if you're a spectator in church there are probably a lot of things that just don't make sense then people always got their hands up hands up down hands up down hands up down it's like an aerobics class it's like jazzercise I just went old school 1980s Hands up, hands down. Hands up, hands down. Why do they always want their hands up and their mouths filled with praise? That just doesn't make sense to me. But can I tell you something? The moment that the noise of life becomes so loud in your spirit and you begin to realize that you can't do anything without God, it's at that moment that you'll cry out to God and say, I'm nothing without you, God. I'm too small without you. I need you in this situation, God. Rain down your goodness in my life. It's at that moment that you'll understand the significance of the sacrifice of praise. See, what blows me away about this passage of Scripture is this group of magi who travel great distances. But what is so ironic to me is that they travel great distances without even being recipients of His goodness. And yet we've been recipients of His goodness and we find it difficult to be consistent with church attendance. Oh, no, He didn't. <laughs> I find it ironic that here they are worshiping the Christ without even knowing the rest of the story. 
We know the rest of the story. We can read it. We can open up the pages of the Bible and we know the rest of the story that the Christ grew up. He got out of the manger. He lived a blameless life for 33 years. He climbed on a cross and he died. He was placed in a tomb. But then on the third day, he arose again. You see, we know that and we can worship God because of that. But they did not receive the experiential benefits of knowing that. And they worshiped Christ not because of what they had received, but because of who he was. You see, you can go throughout the Bible and you can see people who are worshiping Jesus because of what he did. It's like he fed the thousands and they worshiped him. And, and, and he healed someone and they worshiped him. But they didn't worship Christ because of what he had done. They worshiped Christ because of what he had given, what he meant to them, who he was. And they knew who he was based upon the word. That's why the religious leaders came into play. Tell us about this Messiah. Where was he born at? That's why verse 6 says this. It says, but you, Bethlehem, this is Old Testament prophecy sounding out. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Hold on a second. Their desire to worship was based upon the word. The word has been around since the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the Bible says in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth with a word. Let there be and there was. And Christ now will rule by the word. The word you are healed. The word you are restored. The word you are forgiven. The word you receive rest. The word you receive salvation. The word you receive hope. Come on somebody. He's ruling by the word. You see God said in the beginning let there be light. And he did not go around heaven trying to find the best scientist saying bring to me some blown glass and a monofilament string and let's try to create a light bulb 2000 times. No, he said, let there be, and there was. Now here are the magi, unbeknownst to them, they're praising God, and because of their praise, the prophetic is released from heaven. Are you grabbing this? The ministry and the life of Christ was preempted by praise. You see, you need to understand something. It is the sacrifice of praise in your life that many times will preempt what God has for you. This past week, I was needing to access something online, and I had to have a password to do it. I couldn't remember my password to save my life. Without giving you too much information about my password, I like to have like one consistent password, but sometimes you go to these things that they don't want you to use that password. You need to use five characters and several squirrely lines Four capital letters, you know, all that junk. You're like, how do you remember all of that? So here I am trying to access something online, something that I needed to get to on the other side, but I could not access it because I couldn't hit the right password. And then all of a sudden I hit the right password. And when I hit the right password, I was able to access what was on the other side. I just wonder if our praise and our worship and our sacrifice of praise is the password that releases to us the blessings of heaven. just wonder. You see, I, I don't know if you're catching this or not, but the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ was preempted by the sound of praise. It was the sound of praise that unleashed the 
the prophetic that had been spoken over the life of Christ hundreds of years before. It was the sound of praise that commissioned the ministry of Christ to begin when these people gathered together and offered a sacrifice of praise. You see, praise, I need you to grab this. Your sacrifice of praise is so much deeper than you just receiving from God. Praise always goes beyond you being the recipient. Praise is praising God for all that you've received and then acknowledging what you've received by giving back to him sacrificially. And when you begin to accompany your praise with sacrificial giving, all of heaven stands at attention. And that's when you go to a new dimension. When praise begins to come out of your mouth, devils have to bow down. When praise begins to come out of your mouth sickness has to leave your body when praise comes out of your mouth your marriage can be restored listen somebody make a sound of praise i didn't come to this place today to preach at you i came to shout with you because I praise God because of the extravagant gift that he gave to me. The extravagant gift of Jesus Christ. You see, he was born a king, but he earned the title king because of the life that he lived. We don't just praise him because of the manger. We praise him because of the cross. And then he was placed in a tomb. But on the third day, he got up and walked out. What I'm trying to say to you is that he desires you to bring to him a sacrifice of praise. He loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. He was born of a virgin named Mary. He walked a blameless life for 33 years. He climbed on a cross, then was placed in a tomb. He arose with all power and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father waiting on us to give him a sacrifice of praise. Good God Almighty. Somebody make a sound in this place. I need to read something to you. Can I read something to you? I know we need to begin to close down. They finally put my timer up. I got it. I know how much time I got now. Thank you. Philippians chapter 2. Everybody say Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes something. I need to tie up some loose ends here. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul identifies for us the ultimate sacrifice of Christ while at the same time the ultimate responsibility of man. He says this in verse 6. He says, who, talking about Jesus Christ, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I need you to grasp the complexities of that verse. You know, sometimes you feel like maybe you're the best at your job. Maybe you've received a promotion and you feel like, oh yeah, I have arrived. It's kind of what Paul is saying. It says, being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wow. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. So the creator becomes the created. Hmm. He says, being made in human likeness. 
and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hold on a second. What you need to understand about that verse is when it says that he humbled himself and he being found in the appearance as a man, it is a Greek term that actually means that he exchanged the likeness of God for the likeness of man. But going a little deeper, it is a Greek term that was used to describe a scenario where a king would actually discard his royal garments and place upon him the garments of a beggar so that he would be able to understand the difficulties of the people that he's leading. Now, here Paul is saying that Jesus took off the royal garments and placed upon himself the stinkiness of flesh so that he would be able to relate to us in every way. So we serve one who's not been tempted, but he's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. But then he goes on to say this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Mm, Lord have mercy. We started out talking about some names. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the peace that is surpassing all understanding, every name. But his name is above all of those names. Hold on a second. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Hold on. We have some magi who are really sorcerers, astrologers who look at the constellations and determine what life is to hold. Now God has commandeered them to bring them to the Messiah because the people who are next door to the Messiah, who supposedly know the Messiah, are not even willing to worship the Messiah. Oh, Lord, have mercy. In heaven and on earth, every knee shall bow under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Okay, hold on a second. That is what Jesus has done for us. That's the ultimate sacrifice. But the ultimate responsibility, you see, is for us to worship him. But I left something out. Go to verse 5. Here's what Paul writes. He starts off this passage of Scripture by saying this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Oh, hold on a second. Oh, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Hold on. Christ Jesus was willing to give it all. He laid it all down. He took off the royal robe so that he could pick up the, the beggar's flesh, if you will. He was willing to give it all in hopes that we would offer a sacrifice of praise. And Paul is saying all we need to do is have the same mind. We have a responsibility to be like Christ. So that should explain to us the Magi. Verse 11, put, put that up for me. Verse 11. Here's the Magi on coming to the house. Hold on a second. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. 
You see, worship is deeper than just your hands lifted up. It's your heart bowing down. But look, it says, Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Hold on a second. They not only came into the room where Jesus was at and bowed down, Paul, bowed down with their hearts and worshiped him with their hearts, but they also adored him with their hands. What is so beautiful is that they adored him with their hands and brought a gift, a sacrificial gift, even without experiencing the benefit of who Christ really is. And today we have an opportunity to be a sacrificial giver to God because we have experienced the goodness of God in our lives. I don't know about you, but maybe there's been times in your life that God showed up. You didn't know how, but Christ showed up. There have been times that you didn't know if God even heard you, but Christ showed showed up. There have been times that you thought you were lost, but Christ showed up. There have been times that you were down and out, and Christ showed up. There were times that you were confused, and Christ showed up. What I'm trying to say today is today we have the ability to give to God extravagantly because God first gave to us. Listen, let me tell you something. It's not enough at Christmas to embrace the celebration of Christ, but ignore sacrifice to Christ. You see, we can give because he first gave to us.